Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading for today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. think what we are seeing this morning is everyone whose power did not go out last night. Let's pray together before we open the word. Father, we do pray for all of those in our community who are still without power, um, just uh, for the quick restoration uh, of that. And um, yeah, thank you that we're able to gather this morning. We pray that your spirit right now would be at work through the word that he inspired to open our eyes and to work in our hearts. Show us more of who your son, Jesus Christ, is. Let us behold more of his glory. We pray these things in his name and by your spirit. Amen. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I know that we just heard Ephesians 5 read, and we will get there eventually, but we're going to start out in Luke chapter 1. So last week we began our Advent series, which is simply entitled Embodied Wonder. We're, we're taking this season to wonder at or to, to marvel at the implications of the Incarnation. Uh, that God took on flesh, God embodied. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 says this, that Jesus had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, Jesus, God, had to take on flesh so that he could represent us as our high priest so that he could take our place on the cross, taking on our sin and our death. Shades, do you, do you see the logic right there? Jesus could not take on our death without a body in which to die. But with a body, not only did he take on our death, but he defeated it, so that one day our own bodies might be raised like his to live forever in new creation. This this is the theological foundation of the incarnation that we explored last week. Last week, if you were with us, we walked through, uh, we, we, we looked through the lenses of creation, we looked through the lens of salvation, and we looked through the lens of the incarnation in order to see the significance of being embodied. Like through the lens of, of creation, we saw we were created to be embodied. That wasn't a mistake. 
We looked through the lens of salvation and saw Jesus didn't merely come to save our souls, but also our bodies. The end of the Christian story is resurrection of our bodies to live forever with God, not in some lofty spiritual realm, but in new creation. This world redeemed, our bodies redeemed. And last week, we also looked through the lens of the incarnation and saw the embodied word, Jesus came to save his embodied world. He will make all things new. Shades, through the lens of creation, salvation, and the incarnation, we see the truth. We were created to be embodied. We have been saved to be embodied forever. Those two things, if those are the bookends of our story, created to be embodied, saved to be embodied forever, If those two things are true, then that has to have implications for how we live right now in our bodies. That's what I want us to explore this week and next week. I want us to ponder just a couple of the implications of the incarnation. A couple of the implications of the incarnation for for the life that we are living right now. Our life of faith, Shades, is is to be embodied. Our faith is an embodied faith. In other words, what I mean by that is our faith, Christianity, it's not merely some individual, intellectual exercise that we just do with our minds. No, we're instructed. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with your whole embodied self. And to do that, we are called into a body of believers. Our faith is embodied. Why? Why is it important for, if, if Jesus came for this, to save us, all of us, our whole selves, if he came to reconcile all things to himself, not just us to him, but us to one another into a body. If this whole season is us celebrating that salvific work, then, then I want to ask why. why. Why is it important for us as a church to embrace embodiment? What does that even look like? And what difference does it make? not only to us, but to the world. To tackle those questions this morning, I want us to begin simply by looking at one implication of the incarnation for us as a community, namely embodied wisdom. Embodied wisdom. This is why we're starting in Luke chapter 1, because I believe in verses 26 to 45, embodied wisdom is precisely what we see. Look at it with me. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. He was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This is a classic Advent text. Like if you've been a Christian through this season even just once, then you probably know this part of the story, Gabriel's appearance and announcement to Mary. And yet, this passage begins strangely, doesn't it? Look at it again. 
in the sixth month. The sixth month of what? It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary's relative. Like if you read straight through the Gospel of Luke before we ever get to Mary, Luke tells us the story of her much older relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth had been barren her entire life, but miraculously, she conceives and is going to be the mother of John the Baptist. And when she is six months along, then Gabriel comes to Mary. In other words, Mary's story is set in the context of Elizabeth's. Why? Wisdom. That's my argument. Mary's young, likely a teenager. We don't know her age specifically. But regardless, she's about to find herself in an impossible situation. She needs someone older, wiser, someone who will believe her. That she's been visited by an angel and has a miraculous pregnancy. Someone who can guide her, encourage her faith in the Lord, is that not the very reason that Gabriel himself will bring Elizabeth up? Look, look at verse 36. Verse 36, Gabriel says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. In other words... To increase Mary's faith in the Lord, Gabriel points her to how God is already doing something impossible with her relative, Elizabeth. And watch what Mary does after Gabriel leaves. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. Spude is the Greek word. I like it because it sounds like speedy. Spude. And that's what it means. It means swift. It means with, with haste. With speed. Mary's got a need. Need for speed. Actually, it's a need for wisdom. And it's wisdom that she needs is wisdom that Elizabeth alone embodies. Look at it again. Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. This is interesting, like, surely, not surely, like, absolutely, there were midwives in Nazareth, midwives that Mary could have gone to for pregnancy advice, but she needs something more than just the mere mechanics of, of childbearing. She needs wisdom embodied in a person who she knows loves her, who will understand her story, who will rejoice with her, and who will encourage her towards the Lord. That's precisely who Elizabeth is, and that's precisely what she does. You just read verses 41 to 45, and Elizabeth is rejoicing with and encouraging Mary in her relationship with following the, the Lord. Mary she did not need like merely disembodied information about pregnancy. She needed embodied wisdom that could walk with her in her calling, building up her faith. Shades, we need the same thing. Because like Mary, every single Christian has been called by God. You have been called by God to follow him through this life. Who do you run? 
written to with haste to help you walk with wisdom through life? That's the question that every single one of us needs to wrestle with this morning. You've been called by God to walk through this life, living a life of faith. Who do you run to with haste? For wisdom in walking through this life. I submit to you that in our disembodied digital age, most of us naturally run to disembodied sources of wisdom. What do I mean? What do I mean by disembodied? I mean we run to sources of wisdom that aren't real flesh and blood people in our lives with whom we have real relationships, people we know, people we've, we've seen walk with the Lord, people we've seen make mistakes, people we've seen repent and ask for forgiveness, people for whom we've seen the fruit of their lives as they follow Christ. Most of us don't run to such embodied sources. No, when we need wisdom, we run with haste to uh, news stations to try and guide us in how to think about what's happening in the world. Uh, We run to our favorite social media platforms and influencers to learn the right way to live our lives. We run to politicians and political parties. Or even, even if we turn to specifically Christian sources, are they not primarily disembodied sources as well? Books, podcasts, writers, preachers who do not know our names and have never actually entered our lives. Is is this where we turn as the primary source for wisdom in the way of Christ. And Shades, it's really, that phrase, primary source, that's really important for me. Because please, hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that it is wrong for us to access information through all of the sources that I just mentioned. It's, It's not wrong to access information through news stations, political parties, books, podcasts, other preachers. I'm not saying everybody should only listen to me. That is not what I'm saying. It's even okay Maybe to access some information through social media. That hurt. (laughs) Taking information in from these sources is not the problem. The problem is, are those sources shaping the way I see everything? Or... Is there something else shaping the way I see even those sources? In other words, Shades, I'm basically asking you, who is discipling you? That's what I'm asking. Is it a disembodied source? Or do you, do we embrace embodied wisdom in our, our lives? In our disembodied age, I believe it is vitally important for us to embrace embodied wisdom as the church. Why? Why? To put it most simply, because that's what we were created for. We were created for relationships of embodied wisdom. See, 
See this with me. Let's look through the same lens as we looked through last week. Let's look at embodied wisdom through the lens of creation, the lens of salvation, and the incarnation. First, embodied wisdom in creation. Embodied wisdom in creation. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, we read of the only thing in creation that God said was not good. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. You got to understand something about that Hebrew word for helper right there. It's used a lot throughout the Old Testament. And the primary person it's applied to throughout the Old Testament is God. The Lord is man's helper. And the Lord loves to provide his help through the means of other people in our lives. Is that not what we're seeing in creation? The Lord is providing Adam with help. How? Through the means of another. In other words, we were created needing each other, needing relationship, needing community. And by the time we get to Genesis 3, we see that one of our most immediate needs in embodied relationships is wisdom. We need wisdom from one another. For what we see in Genesis 3 is a disembodied source of information slithering into Eden. Serpent, Satan, who Adam and Eve do not know. They have no relationship with him. They do not know his motivations nor his intentions. Yet how does he present himself as a source of wisdom? That's why his words tempt Eve. Genesis 3 and verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And, and, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Adam, standing right there, stupidly silent. He should have been a source of embodied wisdom for Eve. He was the one who had received the command from God not to eat from the tree. It was his job to communicate that true wisdom. And as a failure, as a result of his failure, the beautiful embodied relationship between he and Eve was broken. And all of our relationships have experienced brokenness ever since. Which is why, secondly, we need to see embodied wisdom in salvation. We've seen it in creation. We were created needing one another. Needing to share godly wisdom with one another. Sin enters the picture, breaks those relationships, which is why, by the way, that's why it's easier for us to trust disembodied sources of wisdom. Because they don't hurt us or disappoint us. At least not as long as we don't see behind the, the curtain as they present themselves to be. But here's the deal. Through the gospel, salvation... Through the gospel, Christ is reconciling all things, including not just our relationship to him, but our relationships with one another. And, and, and what these relationships are to look like, our relationship to one another, as he calls us to be a part of his people, including a part of his localized body, the church, what those embodied relationships are supposed to look like 
is all over the New Testament. And one of the primary things we see is that in the context of those relationships, we are supposed to experience embodied wisdom. I I want us to look at that in Ephesians. I told you we'd get there. Just take a second. So turn to Ephesians. We're actually going to start in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, actually to several churches. It was meant to be a circular letter, travel its way around Asia Minor. And if you read straight through this letter, what you'll encounter in the first three chapters of this book is the Apostle Paul hammering home the reality that the cross of Christ not only reconciles us to God, but reconciles us to one another. He's dealing with congregations made up of Jews and Gentiles who had been diametrically opposed to each other for centuries. And he's showing how the cross has reconciled those relationships and called them together as one new man, he calls it in Ephesians. And in chapter 4 of this letter, he begins unpacking what being reconciled to one another looks like, and it looks like embodied wisdom. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. I, Paul says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, he's been telling them for three chapters, you've been called into God's people as one new people. So walk, or in other words, live in a way that fits with that calling. Live as God's people together. Verse 2, he starts unpacking what that looks like. It looks like walking with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, it looks like doing this life of faith together. Even when it's hard, we bear with one another. We humble ourselves, love one another. Why? Because we need each other. That's what Paul unpacks in verses 7 to 13. You get down to verse 7 and Paul begins unpacking how each of us has been gifted by the Spirit of God for the purpose of building up the body, the church. In other words, we need each other. We need the Spirit working through one another. We were not meant to do this life of faith alone. All of us, all of us know instinctually We know the, trying to think of the way to say it, the reality of embodiment's value. Um, I'll give you a way that you know this instinctually. Uh, The live concert cannot be replaced by recorded music. Can't. Uh, Or do any of you have family members who live so far away you rarely get to see each other? Thank the Lord for the technology of things like FaceTime. It cannot replace being face-to-face. It can't do it. This is is why uh, we do short-term mission trips. I've had people throughout the years ask me, aren't short-term mission trips a waste? Shouldn't we just gather all the money that would be spent on that trip and send it overseas? No, we should not. Why? Why? Because my brother who served as a long-term missionary would look at you and tell you nothing can replace people coming to me in embodied relationships and encouraging me. No amount of money could replace that. We know that embodiment matters and Paul is unpacking for us why it does. We need each other. We need the wisdom that God gives us through 
one another. We need embodied wisdom that points us to Christ so that we won't latch on to disembodied sources that'll pull us every which way in this life. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 14. Look at it. We need one another, so we'll be pointed to the Lord, grow up into maturity in him, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Do you hear what Paul's saying right here? Don't be tossed around by disembodied sources spouting off every doctrine of human cunning. Rather, he says, be in real relationships where the truth is spoken in love, aimed at growing you in Christ. Chase, do you, do, you know do you know why it's so much easier for us to trust disembodied sources? It's like I said earlier, it's because we don't see their warts. When I... Um, when I was first in ministry, serving at the, the first church that I did, back when I knew everything as like a 19-year-old youth pastor, I remember going through this time when I was really, really frustrated with the church that I was a part of. Uh, I thought the leadership wasn't forward-thinking enough, probably because they were super old. Um, my dad was the pastor at this church, so we can just throw that out there. Uh, and I was younger and I knew better. And, and in the midst of that time, I started listening to sermons. Podcasts weren't a thing yet, but I started listening to sermons from this young pastor that I admired very far away, living very far away. I'd read one of his books. I admired him. I start listening to these. And that, that in and of itself wasn't the problem. The problem was that I let him become my pastor. His disembodied voice became the most influential voice in my life. And in my mind, this guy had it all right. He could do nothing wrong. And everything he said just affirmed what I already thought. And it increased my frustration with the church that I was a part of and my dissatisfaction with my actual pastor, my own father, who loved me, who was for me. The, this disembodied voice only served to drive a deeper wedge into my embodied relationships. Shades, that disembodied voice, that I don't even think that guy claims to be a Christian anymore. But my former pastor, my father, he still loves me. He still points me to Jesus with more wisdom than I could ever have imagined. And, and here's the deal. I, I tell you that story not to say that every disembodied voice is a wolf in sheep's clothing that's going to lead you astray. But I tell you that story to say that no disembodied voice should ever replace the embodied relationships the Lord has given us in our lives. God has put us in a body full of people different from ourselves on purpose. Disembodied Online influences and algorithms are designed to do the opposite. Not to shove you into circles with diversity, but deeper down the hole of uniformity. Like, 
Those algorithms are designed to affirm what we already think and to drive us away from anyone different. But God has specifically placed us into a body full of different people so that we can learn to bear with one another. So that we can be around someone who has a view on something that's diametrically opposed to our own, but because they are flesh and blood in our life, it makes it really hard for us to demonize them. Because we see how much they love us and love Christ. God has put us in a diverse body so that we would learn to bear with one another, love one another, and learn from one another. Learn wisdom, embodied wisdom. And Shades, Ephesians 5, the verses we had read at the beginning of our time, Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, they call us specifically to this kind of community. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. It's a present tense command. Present tense in Greek means ongoing, continuous action. In other words, it's not something you do one time. This is something we do all the time. We're to look carefully how we are living, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, the assumption of Paul right here is that wise living is not something that comes to any of us instinctually. It's something that requires intentionality. And he's saying you've got to be on guard. If you want to live wisely in the way of the Lord, look carefully. How then, Paul, how, how do we walk? How do we live wisely? If you read through the passage, he lists out several things. He tells us we live wisely by not wasting time but by using it to follow the Lord's will in our lives. He tells us that we live wisely, uh, not by wasting our lives on things like wine. He, what he's pointing to right there is he's pointing to cultural party practices in Ephesus where the social wisdom of the day was to attend drunken bashes where you could rub shoulders with society's elite. Paul calls that debauchery. That means a waste. Instead, don't follow the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the day. No, that is a waste. Instead of being filled with wine, he tells them to be filled with the Spirit, which is encouraged not by rubbing shoulders with society's elites, but by rubbing shoulders with the saints. Is that not what he says? Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything that God the Fa to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says, here's how you walk. Here's how you live wisely. Get into embodied relationships with saints where you submit to one another, or in other words, serve one another. Speak truth to one another. Sing truth over one another as you worship together. He's calling us not just to sing truth to one another, but to speak it to one another. I know that because the books of Ephesians and Colossians, Paul wrote them at the same time, and you can lay them side by side, and they are insanely parallel. And if you look at the parallel passages to the one we're reading right here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, this is how Paul puts this over there. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word, Christ's teaching, that wisdom, let it dwell in you richly. How, Paul? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your hearts. Speak truth to one another. Lovingly serve one another. Point one another to what the Lord's will is and spur one another on not to waste your lives but to live them for Christ. In other words, you want to walk, you want to live wisely, embrace embodied wisdom. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Embodied wisdom. This truth is all over the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and, when I'm not present, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Look at those in your community who live out the life of faith. Keep your eyes on them. Watch closely. Embodied wisdom. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, Paul's about to die. He's leaving his final instructions. What's important that he needs to leave behind to Timothy? Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I've passed this to you. Pass it to others who will pass it to embodied wisdom. This is so different from how our world currently lives, which is why our world desperately needs to see it. Because it bears, it bears witness to the difference that the incarnation makes, the difference that Jesus makes. This is the third and final thing. Third and final thing we need to see. Thirdly, embodied wisdom in the incarnation. Embodied wisdom, we've seen it in creation, salvation, now the incarnation. When, uh, when we, the church, embrace embodied wisdom relationships, it bears witness to the world about the incarnation and why it makes a difference that Jesus came. Why? Philippians 2 is glad that we asked. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have real embodied relationships. Why? Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, Paul says to the Philippians right there, he says, real embodied wisdom relationships demand that we humble ourselves. They demand that we count others as more significant than ourselves. And when they do that, they are calling us to put on display the very love that Christ displayed in the incarnation. He humbled himself, counted others as more significant than himself. The incarnation, which looks so foolish to the world, by the way. Is that not what we were talking about right before the season of Advent in our series in 1 Corinthians? How the wisdom of God looks so foolish to the world? And yet Jesus 
taking on flesh, is the very wisdom of God. Jesus is quite literally embodied wisdom. And we bear witness to him through embodied relationships with one another. Through such relationships, we show the world something better, something better than the disembodied, polarized culture that they know. We show them a kingdom culture of embodied wisdom where real unity can be experienced because of real love, a love that comes from a real Christ. We show the world through our embodied relationships the real difference that Jesus makes, the real difference that him coming makes. Shades, do, do you see? Like during this season, when, when you look into the manger. Do you see this specific implication of the incarnation? In Jesus, do you see the beauty of embodied wisdom? Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.